From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Dylan Hall. And I'm Charlie Blay. And we will be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news from across Canada and around the world. Today we have a kind of special segment. It's a conversation between Terra Informer Sophia Osborne and her dad David, who lives out in the southern Gulf Islands and is trying to live as sustainably and as off the grid as he can. Sophia's dad has always been a big inspiration to her as an environmentalist, so I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. Me too. But before we get to that, here are this week's environmental news headlines. In their last attempt to push through the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, the Alberta NDP have taken out $450,000 per week in digital and print ads in 27 newspapers around the country with pro-pipeline messaging. The ads follow the Federal Court of Appeals decision to overturn the federal government's approval of the pipeline expansion. The court said that the National Energy Board's review of the expansion project was so flawed that it couldn't be relied upon and that the federal government failed to meaningfully consult with First Nations. Now, construction on the project has stopped, but Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said he's committed to restarting the project, which his government recently bought for $4.5 billion. In the meantime, the Alberta NDP is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on these advertisements, with the message that the court's decision could mean, quote, big losses for our country, end quote. The ads say, quote, until it's built, Canada is forced to ship oil by more expensive, more environmentally damaging means, and to sell Canadian oil to America at a discount, end quote. Those who question these claims argue that this advertisement, or propaganda, fails to mention that investments in pipeline infrastructure will lock in oil development decades into the future, making commitments by Alberta and Canada to reduce carbon emissions in the face of climate change impossible to meet. Yet others have questioned the Alberta government's decision to spend on ads when Trudeau has already made the decision to follow the court's advice. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley says the money for the ads is coming from within the existing budget, which she says has a lot of room for them to, quote, be strategic and also persuasive as need be, end quote. The Trans Mountain Pipeline story is one we're always keeping our eyes and ears on here at Terra Informa, so stay tuned for updates. In other news, a new study conducted by University of Alberta ecologists warns that thawing permafrost may release more carbon dioxide into the water and atmosphere than previously thought. This increase in carbon dioxide release is due to mineral weathering, a process in which minerals that were stored in permafrost become exposed to sulfuric or carbonic acid in the water and are broken down into their chemical parts, including CO2. Scientists are worried that this phenomenon could lead to a positive feedback loop in the Earth system, potentially intensifying climate change and speeding up the thawing of permafrost. In other words, as permafrost thaws, the globe warms more. As the globe warms more, more permafrost thaws. PhD candidate Scott Zolkos explained that, quote, rapidly thawing permafrost on the Peel Plateau in the Northwest Territories is greatly enhancing mineral weathering. Because weathering is largely driven by sulfuric acid in this region, intensifying permafrost thaw could be an additional source of CO2 to the atmosphere, end quote. In money news, 400 investors with assets totaling $32 trillion, that's an average of $80 billion each, have announced the, quote, investor agenda, 
end quote, which calls on global investors to, quote, accelerate and scale up the actions that are critical to tackling climate change and achieving the goals of the Paris Agreement, end quote. The agenda was launched at the Global Climate Action Summit in San Francisco last week and is supposed to provide guidance for investors to transition the world's financial capital to low-carbon opportunities and allow them to report on their progress. And if you're looking for something to do this week, check out Edmonton's first Indigenous Art Park, which opened to the public on September 15th after being in the works for five years. The park is called Inu, River Lot 11, and features six pieces of Indigenous art from across Canada, all curated by Candice Hopkins. Inu, River Lot 11, is situated in Queen Elizabeth Park, a part of the riverbank that has been a gathering place for Indigenous people for thousands of years. Inu means I am of the earth in Cree. Lastly, perhaps you would like to attend A Night of Grief and Mystery. On October 10th, from 6.30 to 8 p.m., author of Die Wise, A Manifesto for Sanity and Soul, and Come of Age, The Case for Elderhood in a Time of Trouble, Stephen Jenkinson will be coming to the Metro Cinema in Edmonton with the Gregory Hoskins Band to grieve and wonder about the time of trouble we are inheriting. From the event page, quote, part poetry, part lamentation, part book reading, part ribaldry, part concert, part lifting the mortal veil and learning the mysteries there, that's what's in store, end quote. Tickets are $40 at the door, $30 in advance, and can be found on Eventbrite if you Google Nights of Grief and Mystery Stephen Jenkinson. Now here's Taryn former Sophia Osborne chatting with her dad, David Osborne, about his environmentally friendly lifestyle out in the southern Gulf Islands, as well as his experience as an environmentalist in a changing world. Really, as I say, I only became very motivated in the middle of the 90s when you and your sister came along when I started to have children and think about more about not just my future, but, you know, the future of people who would come after me, and particularly my own kids. Hi, I'm Sophia Osborne. I'm about to call up my dad, who I'm um, very close with. He's probably my best friend. I'd usually talk to him on the phone, I don't know, every couple days for like an hour. <laughs> so yeah, talking like this is pretty normal for us. Um, but I really wanted to um, kind of share his experiences with you all because he's uh, he's been around the block. He's 70, although he's super duper fit and more like 50 or something. <laughs> um, he, yeah, he pretty much bikes every day. He plays pickleball, which is this like racket sport that's kind of a cross between um, like ping pong and tennis. Uh, I played it, it's really fun. So he plays that with his friends all the time. Um, he plays baseball, he kayaks all the time. He's, he's retired and he lives out on Saturna Island, which is one of the southern Gulf Islands, and it's actually the least populated one, so there's only about 300 people that live there full-time, including my dad, and I graduated high school and came out here to Edmonton. So, yeah, he's been living there for four years now, I think. To me, it just seems like this very idyllic lifestyle, and a big part of that is that he 
has made a lot of efforts to reduce his footprint. So he has bought an electric car, which he powers uh, using the solar panels that he put on his house. So he uses those to power his house, his car, his electric bike. Um, it's pretty amazing, plus he has rainwater collection, um, he composts, gardens. I'm, I'm always just like extremely fascinated by his lifestyle and so I wanted to talk to him a bit about what it's been like for him to have this shift from sort of urban living to more rural, I guess environmentally friendly living. And then I also just wanted to talk to him about his experience um, as a, a human being on this earth for the past 70 years and how it's how things have changed, you know, his his hopes and worries about the future, those sorts of things. I hope you appreciate hearing from my dad as much as I do. Hey, Dad. Hey. Okay, awesome. I would characterize the southern Gulf Islands uh, of British Columbia as a natural paradise. Um, it's a series of um, small islands that are close enough that you can easily boat between them. Um, they they vary in development. Some, like Saturna Island, where I live, are mostly still very natural in the sense that uh, they're largely forest and, um, uh, you know, the shorelines have been pretty much preserved, whereas others of the Gulf Islands are more developed. For instance, Salt Spring Island um, is almost urban. Uh, they've got 10,000 people on that island, a whole town and everything else. But I came here for the natural beauty. Do you want to talk a bit about how you first came to love the Gulf Islands? Sure. Well, you know, back in about 1990, um, I got very interested in sailing. I've always been interested in the water and had small boats, but I got interested in sailing. So, you know, I started going out um, in this sailboat, and, you know, we have a world-class area for sailing here in the southern Gulf Islands, which I could reach in a few hours from Horseshoe Bay. So I started coming out here and just doing what we call gunk holing. So I would just go around in my boat and anchor in little bays and go ashore for walks and just really enjoyed the sea and the forest and the shoreline. Just an absolutely beautiful experience. So a few years ago when I was going to retire and I'd been thinking about leaving the city and trying to get into a more naturally beautiful environment to live in, um, I thought of the Gulf Islands, and I thought of Saturna Island, where I now live, because it had been one of my favorites to explore from my sailboat. And so what has it been like moving from the city, like North Vancouver, out to the Gulf Islands? What's that change been like for you? Well, it's been a wonderful change. Uh, it's everything that I hoped it would be. Right from the time when I was very young, when I was a boy, there was still a lot of um, relatively undeveloped area very close to the city of Vancouver where I grew up. And my dad was an outdoorsy kind of person, so we would always be going out into the outdoors to enjoy it in various ways, hiking, fishing. Uh, camping, things like that. And um, so when I was going to leave the city a few years ago, what I was hoping was that I would uh, 
be able to recreate some of that wonderful feeling of being able to get away from the urban uh, environment and into something that was more naturally beautiful. It has been just what I wanted. I, that, you know, for one thing, there is no noise here. I mean, no noise except the sounds of nature, wind in the trees, waves on the shoreline, birds and uh, animals. Now when I go back to visit in the city, it's so noisy. The air is, is really, really nice here. Uh, and then just lack of traffic, also the sense of community. When I lived in the city, I had to make an effort to get in touch with my friends. Here on this small island, um, I run into the same people all the time, and I spend time with them in various ways, volunteering at social events and just spontaneously. So all of those things have been real validations of my desire and my decision to move from the city to the country. And part of leaving the city, of course, you know, I was living in Vancouver, and uh, every, as everyone knows, the house prices are sky high there. So when I sold my house, that gave me the financial means to, you know, put into effect some of these other things. And so in that way, I'm extraordinarily lucky also um, to have the means to be able to, to try to escape from the sort of fossil fuel treadmill. When I'm out on Saturna, it really elevates that kind of conflicted feeling because on one hand I feel so lucky to be able to experience sort of this natural environment while it's still there and like sometimes we go kayaking and see like five bald eagles or something it's and that's just normal there you know yeah to be able to be in this peace and quiet see the like southern resident orcas come by your deck and everything but at the same time, it's a very, like, stark reminder of what's at stake. And it's really nice to be able to experience it, but it's almost like when you're in the city, you can kind of forget about it more. Yes, I, I think that's a really good point. Um, my interest in the environment and my activities you know, are are inspired by my contact with nature, by particularly, as I said, in my youth, spending a lot of time and developing a great appreciation for it, and then now renewed by being out here. But um, given the fact that a lot of people are are living in ur- urban areas, in, in cities, where they may not get the chance to experience that, um, then you know, there's a strong possibility that it won't hold a lot of value for them, particularly when they're constantly distracted by, as I say, the need to earn a living and take care of their families and deal with the stuff that's right in front of their faces um, in that urban environment, all the urban problems. So it would be really good if we could get more people to understand the value of nature and have more experience of it, personal experience of it, that would inspire them to, you know, change their priorities, maybe. Yeah, it's definitely such an amazing place, and I'm, I think it's really inspired me to, yeah, inspired me to consider um, a lifestyle like that sooner rather than later, because I do feel like a lot of people are like, oh, when I retire, one day maybe I can live a, a more relaxed 
kind of island life. Um, but yeah, just seeing how amazing it is, I don't really know why you necessarily need to wait, you know? Well, unfortunately, the way our society is being set up, urbanization is the trend. And for young people, finding jobs in sometimes in these more rural areas is more difficult. It's easy for me because I'm retired. I don't have to think about work. Um, but uh, for younger people, and that was one of the things that prevented me from leaving earlier from the city, was that my work was there and, of course, you know, my family was there. I mean, when I come to visit you and like how you can, you know, go for bike rides every day, go kayaking every day, play baseball with your friends, like just the amount of time that you can spend outdoors. I mean, it's just amazing. Whereas in the city, it really feels like you need to make way more of a conscious effort to go spend time in nature, I guess. Another thing about your lifestyle there is you're living very sustainably with like composting and gardening and recycling and then of course your solar panels rainwater collection electric car like did you know when you were planning to move that you wanted to make this big shift in basically your footprint i guess yes i did i wanted to make a personal commitment to the greatest extent that i could to get off of fossil fuels um and that, of course, was connected with my love of nature and my concern for the environment. So I wanted to try to eliminate fossil fuels from, or at least the direct use of fossil fuels, because, of course, we're all caught up in a, a worldwide system that we can't fully escape them, I suppose, except by going to live in a, you know, in a hut in the woods. And I wasn't prepared to do that. <laughs> so... Really, I'd been thinking about it for a few years, and moving here to Saturna was an opportunity to to put a lot of that into place. Um, and some of it were think, was things that I had to do when I came here to Saturna. For instance, while I had been doing recycling in the city, and I think it's a great example of government creating the conditions in which people can easily make the choice to recycle because they put the infrastructure in place. Here on Saturna Island, we have no garbage collection. We have no garbage dump. We have nowhere to put our garbage. And so we are forced to participate in the recycling by the necessity of our circumstances. So I've really gotten into recycling here in a way I didn't even in the city. Saturna Island happens to be a very sunny place, and I'm chose a property that's south-facing, so I was able to put in quite a lot of solar panels and become, in effect, independent of having to use outside power sources. Although I'm still connected to the grid, I produce more solar power than I use. This area, also in the southern Gulf Islands, is um, a water conservation area. Um, it's kind of a Mediterranean climate. We don't get a ton of rain. And um, so... Uh, there was a water collection system that was partly in place on the house where I collect rainwater off the roof into tanks. And uh, I had to do that because there is no water system here, no municipal water. So some of the things were conscious choices. Other things were circumstances that I found here that led me to make the choices I've made. But it all is based upon 
my concern for the environment and my wish to personally try to wean myself off the direct use of fossil fuels, which I've been able to do except for one thing, which is my little propane barbecue that sits out on my deck. We all have to make compromises. (laughs) (laughs) Does it feel different to you? Like, um, do you feel less guilt maybe, or has it really been a large shift for you to be able to make these personal choices? I do feel really good about being able to do that. And I, I do really appreciate my circumstances. I think for most people, it's very, very difficult to make these choices. Part of it is lack of resources. Again, unlike recycling, our governments really haven't set up a system. They've dropped the ball in terms of setting up a system where it's easy and cheap for people to make the right choices, to choose alternate forms of energy, to choose alternate forms of transportation, and other kinds of things that will help them get away from the fossil fuel culture. So I've been extraordinarily lucky that I've been able to implement these ideas. And I do feel good about what I've done. I also use my money uh, in a significant way to support organizations that are attempting to make changes on a larger scale that'll make it easier for everyone in our society to make these choices. Organizations um, that are defending the environment and organizations that are concerned directly with the environment that, in addition to my own personal efforts on a larger scale, support change. You know, guilt, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of my initial motivation uh, around all this stuff has been a sense of guilt. It first started, actually, back in the mid-90s when you and your sister were born, um, that I began to think a lot about that cliché where people from my boomer generation say, oh, you know, what kind of world are we going to leave for our kids and for our grandchildren? I started to think about that because now that I had children, it became very personal again for me. Right. And how do you feel now about, I guess, the world that's being left for my generation? I know we've kind of talked about that before, and it it can be depressing. Do you feel at all more hopeful about it, or is this kind of about alleviating some personal guilt? You know, my feelings about it are really ambivalent and mixed, um, and I think you hit upon sort of both sides of the coin. I do feel better and to some extent optimistic, partly because of my own personal situation and partly because of some good news that we get every once in a while and and improvements that seem to be happening. Most recently, I could refer to the decision of the federal court to cancel permission for the pipeline, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, from the area where you live out here to the West Coast. I do feel sometimes good and optimistic, and I want to believe the good news that I hear. But on the other hand, overall, I I have to say I'm I'm worried and pessimistic about the situation. I just don't see a lot of the type of action that I think is necessary, which is at the government level, 
to create the circumstances in which ordinary people who are struggling, you know, from month to month, you know, trying to keep their heads above water financially, emotionally, you know, with their families, can make good decisions, do the right thing um, that will support, you know, a positive outcome. Some mornings I get up and I feel like maybe it will be okay after all, and a lot of mornings I get up and think, oh, holy, you know, I'm doing something that is sometimes referred to as shifting deck chairs on the Titanic. While the boat's sinking, you know, we're rearranging the furniture to make things look a little better. And I'm glad I was able to inspire you, and I'm glad to hear that your experience coming out here to Saturna has continued to inspire you to think about how we can work on these problems. One of the key issues out here in the Southern Gulf Islands is our local killer whale population, the so-called southern resident killer whale, otherwise known as orcas, and they're sometimes identified under the name J-Pod. Their numbers have been falling recently, and, and they're in a lot of trouble. Well, I don't know whether you saw the news that they just lost another one, J-50. Well, it's hard there. We were just talking in my um, sort of environmental ethics class about um, you know, one potential way of looking at animals or more like species as groups is to consider them as social groups interacting with our social group of humans, right? Mm-hmm. And that really rang true for me when it comes to the orcas, I think, because there's just like this feeling that I have anyway that they are so aware of us and what we do. Like think about the the orca that was carrying its baby around for like over two weeks. I do feel like that was a message to us. And there have been so many instances of people just realizing how aware they are of us. I just realized that they're this, basically this social group and we're discriminating against them in maybe not so much a direct way, but in a, a negligent way. Like we just don't care enough what happens to them. We put our own priorities around like natural resources before their interests and I think like part of the reason that I feel so strongly for them is because I feel like I've developed a personal connection with them from being out on Saturna with you and and seeing them like I I worked out there for a summer and saw them like at least a couple times a week all summer Um, and they come so close you could touch them obviously you shouldn't but you could well, I think that's a really important point. Again, the more people who get to experience that kind of thing, to interact with other species, particularly ones that are clearly socially advanced and intelligent, like the orcas, um, and the more people who get to experience the beauty and the tranquility and the qualities of nature, the more chance is that those people will rearrange their priorities and will understand that, as you put it so well a moment ago, you know, we have to change balance of our priorities and take into account the preservation of the natural beauty of the earth. All right, well, enjoy the rest of your day, sweetie. It was good to talk to you. You too. Okay. And uh, bye-bye. Love you. Bye. Love you, too. Bye-bye.
That was Sophia Osborne and her dad, David Osborne, talking about his life, complete with solar panels, an electric car, and rainwater collection out in the southern Gulf Islands, as well as reflections on the past and his hopes and worries for the future his daughter, Sophia, will inherit. We hope you've enjoyed our show this week. If you want to hear more stories like this one, check out our website at terranforma.ca for our entire archive of past episodes. And have you ever wanted to be on the radio? Or meet your favorite hosts like Charlie and I from the show? <laughs> Terra Informa is recruiting. If you want to join our team and share your stories, check out the About Us tab on terrainforma.ca. Terra Informa is produced by volunteers at CJSR 88.5 in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have any questions or comments, you can send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at terrainforma. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Huge thanks this week to our contributors, Amanda Rooney and Hannah Cunningham. We've been your hosts, Charlie Blay and Dylan Hall. Catch you next week right here on Terra Informa. <laughs>